One of the machines have you got behind you? Because I, I will confess, I don't know too much about the Scullers and the Ampexes. Just knew, not really had the exposure to them. So that's um, a studer, I can tell that. A, yeah, an <laughs> yeah. A10 with, the, with yeah. the face off. And then a quarter inch four channel Otari OTR10. Um, uh, wow, you've got you've got a workshop here. Is it, is it just you in there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Really? I thought I, my, mine's not as big as that, and I'm thinking, oh, no, it's just me in here sometimes. Wow, what's the that's that's an MCI, yeah, isn't it, in the background? Yeah, some well, some M79s, 3M. Oh right. Uh, yeah, so it got, you know, work cut out for me on those ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, some two channel 820s. I can't get mm-hmm. the camera right. Uh, um, some MTR tens, a whole bunch of stuff undercover. <laughs> you, you got know, months. Little... You got months of work here. You got months of it. <laughs> Press play. The Real Resilience Podcast, dedicated to all things tape recorder. Dan Labrie giving me a post-interview overview of the machines he had in his workshop. As I said, he must have had months of work lined up there, and I hope he has worked his way through it by now. I say by now, as the interview he gave me featured in episode 24 of Press Play. But after that, the podcast went into hiatus as I dealt with personal issues. But now we are back, and I welcome you to episode 26 of Press Play, the podcast from Real Resilience, dedicated to all things tape and tape recorder. I say tape recorder rather than reel-to-reel as I have entered the dark side and now offer service support to a particular type of cassette machine, the L-Cassette, a short-lived, four years actually, format from 1976 to 1980. It was planned by Sony as a cross between the higher quality reel-to-reel could offer, it used quarter-inch tape running at 3.75 ips, and the convenience of the Philips compact cassette. But like reel-to-reel, vinyl and the format that saw L cassette off, being compact cassette, it's seen a sort of resurgence. After a client asked me to service a machine, I searched out one for myself and now offer service support for the format. Wiki L cassette, that's E-L-C-A-S-E-T, to find out about the format and who, apart from Sony, made the machines at that time. What else? Well, sticking to reel-to-reel, don't forget we sell RTM tape in the UK. Our promotion in December 2023 was a great success and promoted us to people who otherwise didn't realise we sold tape. We stock all of RTM's quarter-inch products on 10.5-inch diameter spools and we have just started to hold 2-inch stock for studios too. You can find it and order from the Real Resilience shop at realresilience.co.uk. Now, on to part two of my long overdue interview with Dan Labrie of Myriad Magnetic. Part one was about Dan's background and his experience in the reel-to-reel format, whilst part two majors on Myriad Magnetic, his company based in Philadelphia. What sectors are you supporting these? And indeed, what machines are you supporting? Is it in the professional recording sector or in the consumer? People want a, a quarter inch for their home listening. Yeah, it- I've got I've got caught by that. You know, like I've worked with some, I'm in Philadelphia and I work, you know, a couple of people found me or a referral and they say, oh, I got this Akai and can you take a look at it? And I say, you know, well, you seem like a nice guy. I'll take, I'll take a look at it. You know, <laughs> like that's kind of where I want to end it. Just looking at it. And 
yeah, I try to, I just want to, like, I want to be a good person to somebody contacting me. And I did it for, you know, past 10 years where, you know, it's like, I want to build a good book of customers or clients, but I also want to have a good book of other technicians. So that when someone calls me with that, I kind of like, I know who wants to work on it. You know, I don't know if it makes them happy, but at least I give somebody something to work with when we get off the phone. So, you know, who, who am I helping now? It's, I have, you know, a base of, of client from, from, uh, from leaving ATR, you know, in professional recording. And then there's, you know, my name's kind of floated around with some institutional client as well. But again, with, you know, ATR 100s and a lot of 50-50s, Otari 50-50s these days. And I'm okay with that, you know, I'm, I'm happy to. And if anything, I, you know, I want to just be better at doing it more than a hobby. So, you know, how you can kind of like poke at something and take care of it for people. But, you know, like at ATR, it was like, you, it was like you, tr- you wanted to just have everything tight from like a source for every single part, you know, whether you're making it or phoning up China for the parts, whatever you got to do. I know it's a, it's going to be a growth period to do it, but this idea that you can really kind of hammer down every facet of a machine. um, That's what I'd like to provide now. You know, is it possible with some of this stuff due to availability? I I don't know, but you know, I'm going to find out. I'd probably agree with you there that, you know, is it a possibility that it, it's great to have, as you said, a source of parts for every little nut, bolt and piece you ever built, but it's, it, that has changed now. That's moved on. And sometimes we're all in a, in an education process to, to find that piece again or an equivalent or indeed some things that are better than uh, they were perhaps, uh, sort of 20, 30 years ago in the heyday of tape. Now, mm-hmm. You're on the East Coast, is that correct, or east of the uh, United States? It's Philadelphia yeah. you're in. What's business like in terms of, of, of tape usage in, in the States? Is it countrywide and there's enough business to keep you going there? Yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm not going to speak as myriad magnetic at this point. You know, I'll speak from my experience, you know, with uh, sort of the exposure to all the different things, whether you're selling tape with ATR magnetic or ATR services, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, like, you know, you have like your, your sort of obvious three of New York and Nashville and, and Los Angeles. And they sort of, they, they live up to their reputation, these towns. And, you know, and we saw that with the tape purchase. And then when it comes to like the rest of the country, I think you see the sort of, you know, just well established studios throughout the country that, almost have a reputation about their use of analog tape. The Steve Albini of Chicago and John Vanderslice, a tiny telephone in San Francisco. So there are these, I don't want to call them intense, but really sort of devout operations to the medium. And yeah, I, I think um, they kind of get the, they might get the most press, but I think they have a great influence on people all over the country, you know, the West coast, East coast, south and in the middle so you know i I think about like who i who i'm speaking to and i I don't speak to anybody just in you know just on the east coast you know folks send me stuff from you know outside of the states and you know across the country to work on so it was never a local thing when i was at atr and i I don't intend it to be a very localized business uh, moving forward with myriad 
And how about the studios themselves? You mentioned sort of New York, Los Angeles, Nashville. I mean, a lot of those sort of record companies base their, their commercial operations, it's business. And therefore, if they can get the product out, um, as we say, more cost effectively or with a less eye on the, the artistic area, they're probably going to go, go for that. But are there studios going, we want to take tape on? Because there's no getting away from it. As you said um, earlier in our conversation, you know, there's certain uh, artifacts and there's certain aspects you've got to consider with analog tape recording and it is inch for inch second for second an expensive format so are there studios investing in it saying we want to we want to record analog or indeed is there client or or artist pressure to say i want to record my next track my next album in the analog domain using a a, an analog reel-to-reel recorder i'm not entirely sure about you know where, (laughs) where the pressure would be coming from but you know I would think that when you talk to studio owners or just people interested in this equipment at all, it's like, it's a passion product and you got to assume that someone like Mike Spitz was involved in it over a passion over just like the the medium, the technology, the machines. And I think something like, something like nostalgia is not really enough to, you know, to make a, make your living on it. I think you need like a really deep passion to do it. And, the people that are interested, you know, in buying like a rebuilt machine from any of the many machine rebuild companies out there today or looking for the deal on the scrap heap or the auction, you know, I think they're all intensely passionate about whether it's using machines or just making great, great sounding records. So yeah, the, the accountants probably do not dictate the success or like the growth of analog tape <laughs> machine usage. But I would certainly bet that the, the, the engineers, the studio owners, and uh, uh, or at least the studio owners that are involved in it and recording, they're the ones that are, you know, they're, they're just so too excited. They just, they, yeah. they need to have it, that kind of thing. I, I think you're right there. It will probably be the accountants who will probably put the brakes on this. So why do you want to invest in this? What's wrong with this digital piece of kit? It's far cheaper and um, yeah, and more consistent. Go. And it does the job, gets the product out there and the punters buy the records. With uh, Myriad Magnetic, what are you su- supporting machines, servicing them? Or are you taking complete junkers and rebuilding them and selling them on? What's your, your, your main business strand? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I ha- I've done very few sort of like a full rebuild for somebody. So ATR service, you know, I'm used to doing this sort of like multiple month project of, you know, tearing down a machine and doing the sort of cosmetic and electromechanical work. Um, I've done less of that and more, more like some drop off work, handle a machine, take care of it, sort of recommission work for people. There's, there's ups and downs to that, but one thing that I, I'm not too keen on is being um, like, I don't want to resell, you know, I don't want to like, I don't want to be the guy to get the deal, put the labor in and then, you know, be the guy with the ex- insane price on reverb or something. So, you know, uh, <laughs> I guess I'll do the, I'll do the tech work and you can sell it on reverb, but you know, it's just where, where I want to fit in is like, you know, with these other models, you know, the A10 or MTR10 that I have interest in, if I have, uh, if I feel good about a program that I've built around, uh, you know, reworking one of those systems, you know, I would offer, you know, that as a, as an item for sale. 
you know, the ATR 100, I feel confident in providing that. And yeah, what I've, what I've done thus far is mostly been sort of light rebuilding and mostly related to just servicing smaller machines or, or, you know, head assembly work or board repair for the ATR 100. Your clients, they they are open eyed about how much it costs to keep these machines going, are they? You said it's a it's a passion for them, but there's still sometimes there's kind of like this passion and rose tinted spectacles. I, I want to get analog, and it's all going to be great. And then you actually say you realize how much this is going to cost. They're open eyed about it, are they? They know what they're getting into, or you're still finding it's uh, how much. <laughs> I, you know, that's another thing too, you know, it's all like my, like my perspective. So my perspective is like just providing the services and not necessarily wondering where the budgets are coming from. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to provide absolutely fair pricing related to whether it's labor or for parts and the, their, their need will dictate whether they have, you know, the budget for that. You don't really try to like give breaks to selectively, but you know, you, you work with people based on what they have. So, you know, like, you know, when you hear about like a, a vendor say, Oh, what's your budget? It's like, well, what are the, what are the services? You know, <laughs> because you try to make something that fits the budget, you're not going to really end up with too much, but you know, like the idea of a tape head, you know, getting a replacement head can cost more than large chunk of machines currently being, you know, bought and sold these days. So. How great is the need? How important is is the work that that needs to be done? But when you see not even um, historically significant pieces of outboard gear, you know, being priced well beyond most tape machines, I, I just think that you know, tape people that work with tape machines are just kind of fitting in somewhere in there because there are there are many not even that esoteric pieces of kit that that are surpassing the tape machine expense and so it doesn't seem to be problematic that that's for sure you know most people are are concerned about media you know oh i gotta buy you know roll two inch these days etc etc in the states how do you see the format progressing do you think it will carry on being popular more and more people coming on board with it or will it plateau or I hope for for your sake, will it not start to sort of go over the hill and 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 roll down the other side? Well, you know, you ever see like those, you know, they show like the sort of chart of vinyl sales and MP3 yeah. sales and stuff, and you know, it's always like MP3 sales are up here, and then right down here at the bottom of your screen, you know, you'll see, you know, vinyl sales have quadrupled or you know, increased the order of magnitude and. I think it's been like it was so relegated that there's almost I think the that 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 hump or that hill is really far away that there would have to be this sort of much bigger commitment and boom and in its um I would say manufacturing you know that we're not really going to hit that you know I, I'm not into a doomsday conversation because I started my career in analog and I intend to you know continue sort of forged onward with a career in, in analog. So yeah, it's, I, I, I think a hump or a hill would be, you know, quite far off. I mean, from my point of view, I, in terms of the studios, I, I find it difficult to believe that a studio that's going to make an investment of several thousand dollars in a machine and then have it plumbed in and, and, and then run it with the, the two inch tape is then suddenly going to decide that, oh, I'm a bit fed up with it now and i'm just going to leave it and put the dust cover over it and forget it i just don't believe that they'll want to j- 
junk that level of investment. There might be a, a slowdown perhaps in the many sort of uh, people who jump on jump on the bandwagon and say, oh, it isn't taped great. Um, I said slowdown. I don't think it'll stop because there's still this kind of romance and people want to see reels going around, whether it's in their home or whether they're in, their, in, in the recording studio. But that's the way I look at it. I think there might there might be a slowdown in new takers, but there's, there's still going to be a level of hardcore users so providing that the tape is still supplied and there's still media to run on these machines and of course people like yourself who have got the skills to support them i still think that they will carry on using them in, into the foreseeable future in your working life uh, you know in particular because frankly we're at the other end of the scales really in these i've probably got another sort of 10 years of this game and then i <laughs> and i want to kind of hand over to somebody else which indeed is what i'm doing with, with a couple of guys training them up putting you mentioned earlier about all the things you did like i want you to answer the phone or i want you to change the caps on this board these are the yeah. kind of things that i'm i'm uh, passing on to the two guys who work with me because i sort of they said we want to learn about the these tape machines and i'm initially thinking it's easy to uh, jump in too far ahead and go well you just, just start stripping this motor down or just start doing no <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've yeah. got to step back and go and and to me it might seem well, they're going to be bored they're going to be so bored just changing the caps on a particular board or as you said answering the phone but that is all part of it and especially as you said about the tape manufacturer you you think some people that's just like sticking it in boxes or seeing the machine just go around producing it but it's you look back and you realize it's all useful experience that you can then take forward and to the future yeah you know there you said something like like when you bring somebody in the studio and the deck's rolling or you know they got the the flashlight and the tweaker out and you're like what the hell are you doing you know like i want to i want to know what you're doing i think it's in the people that make their way into studios or around music recording you know there's a it's like there's a reason there's only like a couple guys in the band that want to work to work the rig and the recording kit you know and it's those ones that you know when they see this type of stuff they they're just drawn to it like a fire so you know as long as it's like as long as somebody's running it there's going to be somebody else like getting glued to it mm. i think that's all you need just a couple people keeping them spinning are you experiencing because I am. People are using tape in ways that I'd never have initially appreciate. You know, you said you, you finished college in, in 2010, so a little bit before your time. But in the in the 1980s, when I first got into this, we were just using recorders to record. But now they're using them in tape loops. They're using them in performance and artist type things. DJs are using them in, in mixed sessions. Is that your experience? That you're using tape in ways you think... I never, you know, why are you using this thing in, in, in the way you are? Is it, What's your take on it? Well, I try to think of if I have any examples of that, you know. I think it's a matter of what I've seen is just, it's not just that one track, like you said. You make uh, the best recorder to make the best recording. Let's move on to something, some other part of the process. When you see, you know, through the ATR 100, you have somebody say, okay, we're going to, you know, mix down to this machine. Oh, I needed a four channel because we're going to do a little four channel multi multi track recording, or we got an old junker machine. We're just going to use it for you know an echo, and you got a mastering engineer that's going to print some stems to to the tape and back, or you got the a, a university library that needs to play back you know old voice recordings for somebody. So I mean, there's a half dozen different applications with a single unit. Who knows what the intended purpose was when it was when it was you know designed at this point in time? It's 
it's got to answer it's got to fit so many different ways so that's the experience like you're on the other end of that just trying to support them whatever whatever their endeavor is um I don't think I get any, as many like creative applications for tape machines, but I've certainly, you know, browsed my fair share on YouTube. Yeah, it's a great resource seeing some of the, um, especially <laughs> seems to be the Japanese are massively into uh, to using these things in a, in a, in a artistic way. And it's like, I've never, where are you going with this? But, you know, <laughs> I think, I think one of the, one of the cooler things I might have seen was like, um, Chris Mara, welcome 1979. He was saying, okay, take a four track recorder, half inch four track, and then, calibrate the first two channels different from the second two channels but print stereo to both of them and so you can have almost simultaneous prints you know with a little bit different flavor context and you know i i think that's great you know it's not like too out of the box but it's almost like a time saver you can sort of maybe say oh yeah i like a plus nine setup as opposed to a plus three setup for this program or Overbiased significantly more than the recommended on, on these two channels and sounds great. You know, you can kind of give yourself yeah. more tape listening options that way. I thought that was cool. Well, Dan Labrie of uh, Myriad Magnetic, thank you very much for your time. Um, I wish you every success with your business and supporting. Is it just Ampex, but you what others? You mentioned Atari. What other brands are you open to? Yeah, I, you know, I think Ampex, Studer, and Atari. And, you know, for the most part, like two, two track machine, but not that Akai that, uh, that they just brought in. Oh, yeah. Earlier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If it's uh, like 4,000 or something in the model number, I don't want it, but yeah, Studer, Ampex, Atari, and yeah, we'll try to build up the level of quality and support for the, the Studer and Atari as we go. And, but ultimately give people another outlet for support there. Well, you've got your web presence, myriagmagnetic.com. And uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Okay, right on. Thank you so much. Find Real Resilience on the web at realresilience.co.uk and on our Facebook page, Real Resilience. Thank you, Dan. And apologies once again for the delay in getting part two out there. More tape and tape-based stuff to come in our next episode. And that will drop soon when we get a Gen X's take on why tape has come back.